Welcome to Tough Time Love. I'm Melinda Scow. I'm a family and lifestyle medicine physician in Northern California. I serve the mostly Native American population, and I'm an AMEN board member. I was also a missionary for 10 years in Nigeria. And we're really happy to have everyone who is here in the room and all of our friends on Audioverse with us. So I'm gonna pray one more time. Lord, we are just so thankful that we are here and that your spirit is here with us. And we ask for you to superintend this hour and help us to seize the opportunity to share your love with our patients because the time is short and we want to make the best advantage of it by your instruction. In the name of Jesus, amen. Meet Steve. Steve was sitting on a chair in my office. I was on my little rolling stool. And uh, we have a long history together. He is a muscular, tattooed biker who used to belong to the club. He rides a Harley. And uh, now he's nearly 70, but he still rides. He also has the hobby of uh, fishing for the big fish in Lake Oroville. Uh, he's been through diabetes out of control, catatonic depression, two failed neck surgeries, a separation from his spouse, atrial fibrillation with ablations, and then recently COVID-19. On this particular day, Steve was sitting in front of me with his hands on his head, nearly tearing his hair out, and he said, Doc, I just don't get it. I was doing so great with my diabetes, and now I'm in big trouble. I ate a whole pie. Why would I do that? And he was just so frustrated with himself. He was almost in despair. So you've probably been there with your patients when they ask you a question that you really don't have the answer for. And so I always pray. I pray at the beginning of my clinic that God will be in every visit. And I pray when, before I walk in the room with the patient. And when they ask me a question like that, I pray again in my heart that God give me the words. And what the Lord told me to ask him was if he had ever um, had a significant loss at that particular time of the year. Um, and he, said, he looked at me like his eyes got big and his mouth kind of dropped open. And he said, Doc, like, like, like I was reading his, his soul. He said, I lost my dad and my brother and my best friend. And, and Steve was obviously eating for comfort to push down those uh, tough feelings. So the thing is that no amount of food or Facebook or Norco or methamphetamine or benzos or overwork or gambling or gossiping or whatever we do online, um, no amount of that can fill the, the deep emotional void that only God can fill. And uh, Psalm 1611 says it so powerfully, you'll make known to me the path of life in your presence is fullness of joy. In your right hand, there are pleasures forever. Now, I could understand Steve's attempt to push down emotions with food because I've done that before. Go home after a hard day at work, stressful day, and, and turn to the carbs. Uh, I, I understood where he was coming from, and I was able to offer him some, some comfort and some, some helpful uh, wisdom in his life. He, he needed Jesus for comfort, and he, he actually believes in, in his vernacular in the, the man upstairs that, that helps him and that has been with him through a lot, of, a lot of his life situations. So this is me at age seven, shortly after I had the chicken pox. 
So I was born right about the time that the first space satellite, the Sputnik, was launched. Uh, and I was the first child of my father's second of seven marriages. My father was a master of many trades, but he failed to master his own cravings for women and alcohol. When I was about four, my parents divorced, leaving me and my younger brother in a single-parent household. We lived in a gang neighborhood just outside of Los Angeles. And at age six, I was attacked by one of the gangs. Uh, all I remember is a knee in my groin and being pushed down into some eucalyptus leaves. I don't think I ever even told my parents what happened. Um, and I had no memory of it until I was about 31 years old. We also used to take vacations on the farm. And the farm was a wonderful place for kids in a lot of ways because we had a, a homemade teeter-totter and swings and a merry-go-round that my grandfather built for us and we could swim in the irrigation dishes and uh, ride the tractors and, and play in the haystacks. It was a fun place. Um, but some painful horrors happened at night that were incomprehensible to a young child. And immediately those memories were suppressed. I didn't, marry, I didn't remember them for decades. But I missed 44 days of school my second grade year. I had chicken pox and tonsillitis, and I had to have my tonsils out after several bouts of sore throats. Um, I had uh, mumps and mono and just, just a series of illnesses. And uh, had I had a, a teacher who had been to this lecture and was sensitive to the, to the interactions between medical and spiritual things, they might have been able to kind of tune in and see what I was going through. So there's a difference between the way normal memory is stored and the way trauma memory is stored. So according to Bessel uh, van der Kolk, who wrote The Body Keeps the Score, he's a trauma researcher, he says that normal memory is stored as an orderly story with a beginning and a middle and an end. Trauma memory, however, is stored in our amygdala as fragments and flashes, like puzzle pieces of sounds and pictures and feelings and smells. I had a patient who remembered her trauma when she heard the ticking of a clock. So I submerged most of my childhood trauma. In fact, I had some other traumas after age seven. Uh, when I was about 11, my father locked himself in a garage and intentionally left the engine running and exploded and was in a UCLA burn center for three weeks. He had had an attempt on his life. And then in the year later, I was in sixth grade at the end of the day in the classroom and the teacher walked in and said, all the students who ride bus three will go home in private cars today because the bus three uh, driver has died. That driver was my dad. And actually, it turned out later he hadn't died, but I didn't know that until the next day. My teacher took me home with a stop by Foster's for ice cream. Next you know, step of connecting uh, trauma with comfort with food. Um, when I was uh, 17, I was driving to my SAT test, and I got lost on the way home. So I stopped in a gas station. That was in the days before Google Maps. And so I stopped in a gas station to get directions. And as I was standing at the, looking at the map in the gas station wall, an older man grabbed me from behind, pinned me down, and would have raped me, except that I had just taken a self-defense class and I was able to break his little finger. I, I, I heard it snap, 
and I stepped on his leg really hard with my heel, and it startled him enough that I was fighting back that he let me go. And then about a year later, I was at Pacific Union College for the beginning of my freshman year of college, and on a Friday afternoon, September 19, I heard my name mentioned at the lobby phone, and so I walked over to see what it was about, and it was a phone call saying that my mother had suddenly, unexpectedly died. She had taken her own life. That night, uh, one of the gentlemen from the dorm didn't want me to be alone after my trauma, so he walked with me down to the Pacific Union College sanctuary. And as we walked in the front doors, the organ was just swelling with, it is well, it is well with my soul. And I knew at that moment that no matter what happened in my life, God was going to go through it with me. And, and to God's glory, God is so wonderful. About 31 years later, I was sitting in my daughter's college church at Union College, also on a September 19 Friday night, and that same song swelled on the organ. I kind of had some tears coming out down my cheek, and my daughter looked over at me quizzically, and I just felt like God had remembered me again. And in fact, about a week ago, I was up at Pacific Union College again because of the fires. We couldn't have our women's retreat at the Leone Meadows, and so they had moved it to my alma mater, Pacific Union College. And guess what song they played on Sabbath morning? It was just a reminder. It is well, it is well my soul. No matter what we go through in our life, Jesus will walk through it with us. So my trauma memory didn't surface until I was about 31 years old, and I was taking a class at UCLA uh, to get my certificate in sexual education and teaching. And as part of the classes, they had an exhibit of art drawn by children who had been assaulted. So my classmates and I were just browsing through these, this art exhibit, and one of the pictures was a stick figure lying down with green scribble all over it. None of my classmates knew what that drawing meant. None of them. I was the only one, but I knew with a stab of kind of panic in my soul what that drawing was, and that was a child with semen on the belly, and something that should never happen to a little child. Um, the next fragment of trauma memory that I had was watching a film, and in the film, there was a grandfather who went into a semi-dark room, took off his glasses, and set them on the table, and then the scene faded out. And Again, I had that stab of panic, like I know what happens next in the movie, and it was just memories from my own childhood. When I uh, became pregnant with my first child, it was a very much anticipated and desired pregnancy. We had been married for eight years, and we were so excited to be having our first child. So I began going to my OB appointments, but a strange thing happened. I began having... Um, unexplainable weight gain, and just, just the pounds were just coming on and coming on and coming on, and I wasn't eating any differently than I had ever eaten. And if my doctor had been to this lecture, uh, he might have been in tune to what was going on, but there was an emotional connection, uh, more than just the medical part of that visit, and I was having fear of re-traumatization with the upcoming delivery. There were some fears there that was probably just turn on my cortisol response, thus the, the weight gain. So during that time, I became st 
strangely afraid of the dark. I'd always been a very logical person, but when my husband was on call, I would be afraid to go to bed. I'd have to leave the lights on. Um, so there is an adult impact to childhood trauma. And I began having nightmares, you know. And so what I started doing was, was writing down my dreams on a little notebook. I kept a little flashlight by my back, and I wrote by my bed, and I wrote down the dreams. And then I prayed, and I read the Bible, and I um, found a counselor and started processing some of the memories that were now coming up from 30 years before. So my healing actually began... Um, shortly after my delivery, I was determined to lose all that weight. And so I began jogging every morning faithfully to the diet center in Loma Linda, and I was following their 1100 calorie healthy diet, and I had lost most of the unwanted weight and was feeling really good about my healthy body. And then a couple guys in a red pickup truck wolf whistled at me. And, and ordinarily, I would have considered that a compliment, I, 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 but at that point, I just collapsed sobbing uncontrollably. The diet center was, was, counselor was stumped. She was like, what's going on here? But I knew, it dawned on me in that moment that the extra weight I was carrying was like an inner tube of perceived protection from, from assault. And now that the extra weight was gone, I was feeling unsafe. When my body was attractive with curves, I was feeling vulnerable to assault. And I think this is a pretty common thing that happens. I was actually working at Kaiser back in uh, the early days before Vincent Folletti did his adverse childhood experiences study. And I remember him saying that uh, during his uh, complex weight management program, uh, many times people would lose weight dramatically and then suddenly some event would remind them of uh, something and they would suddenly gain the weight all back or they would pick up smoking and have a cloud of smoke to keep people away from them. So this is a common thing that, that our patients do. What we see as the problem, their alcohol or their drugs or uh, their, their gambling or their overeating, whatever, we see it as the problem. It's their attempt at a solution to the old emotional pain. So just a reminder, no amount of uh, food or sex or overwork or any kind of substance can ever fill the deep void that only God can fill for us. Only God can really touch our pain. So, so the first step was feeling the grief and realizing my new lifestyle was missing that false comfort and feeling, I was feeling vulnerable, so I had to just feel that grief and find a good counselor and walk through that. And it was about a nine-month walk. I felt bruised from head to toe, and it was about nine months of counseling and processing and lots of scripture and lots of, of music. So it began the journey of healing for me. And I realized I was not alone. Adverse childhood experiences are very common. Uh, so uh, how many of you are aware of the adverse childhood experience surveys and quizzes? So about a third of our audience here. So Dr. Vincent Folletti and Dr. Robert Onda did a study between 1995 and 1997 at Kaiser in Southern California, and they did confidential interviews on 17,300 patients. 
and they had the luxury of up to 20 years of charts that they could survey. So they knew the adult impact of disease from, from childhood trauma. And what they found, I actually, you can go on Audioverse and find my lecture. It's about a 60-minute lecture uh, from two years ago that tells all the details of the adult disease. Um, so I won't go into all those details today. But there's a great 16-minute talk from Nadine Burke Harris uh, that's great on ACEs. And you can also go to acesaware.org and learn more about ACEs. So um, Dr. Vincent Folletti actually said in one of his lectures that even if you did the adverse childhood experience quiz um, with a patient, and even if they did it without a, a provider there and just put that quiz in a lockbox with a promise that the provider would read it, a compassionate provider would see their, what they had been through, their adult symptom scores fell by up to 30%. So it, it was a very effective tool. So what are the adverse childhood experiences that they surveyed in that study? There were three kinds of abuse, physical, emotional, and sexual. There were two kinds of neglect, physical and emotional. And there were five kinds of household dysfunction, mental illness, a parent treated violently, divorce or other parental separation, incarcerated relative, and substance abuse, alcohol, drugs, any kind of substances. So we see that these kind of events and experiences are very common. In Butte County, almost 50% of adults, if you survey families, have been through uh, childhood trauma in my county. And uh, it, it's, it's amazing. A quarter of the patients that we survey in Butte County have uh, four or more ACEs. It's not uncommon for me to do the survey in my office and have a patient that has eight or nine positive. So in the Kaiser study, 64% uh, of the people they surveyed had at least one ACE. Almost 40 had two or more ACEs. So 28% of the patients that they surveyed uh, for the original study reported physical abuse, and 21 reported sexual abuse, 21%. And what they found was that that um, ACEs were highly correlated to adult disease. So the inflammatory diseases like MS and rheumatoid arthritis and the, um, the thyroiditis and other, also heart attacks, actually having a high ACE score is a bigger risk factor for heart attack than if you smoke and have high blood pressure and high cholesterol. Pretty amazing adult uh, disease correlation. So what they found out, I have, I have a pyramid here. The bottom of the pyramid is the adverse childhood experience. The next rung is disrupted neurodevelopment. Children who go through a, a difficult childhood experience sometimes have an arrested development at that stage. Um, they may have social and emotional and cognitive impairment. And they may adopt health risk behaviors that negatively impact them. And then they get disease and disability and social problems and an early death. The life expectancy among people who have six or more ACEs is nearly 20 years less than those who have no ACEs. That's huge, you know, living till, till 60 instead of 80. And some of those deaths are from suicide. 
If you take a group of people who have no ACEs, only one out of 100 of those people will attempt suicide during their lifetime. But if you take a group of people who have seven or more ACEs, 20 of the 100 will likely attempt suicide during their lifetime. So I just kind of want to share some tips for using the Adverse Childhood Experiences quiz in your office. You can download it from that acesaware.org website. And we always de-identify it in our, our office. We just have them put a tick mark at the bottom of the page so I have no clue which, which event they've had. And I, I, I tell them that we do this on everybody. Um, we're not singling out people. Uh, and that it's a tool for symptom reduction, that, that just taking this quiz may cut their symptoms for up to 30% up to of their current illness. And I assess their readiness to do this. I probably won't do this on a first patient visit. First of all, I'm too busy doing all the other health intakes, but, but I want to establish rapport with them before I do it. And I explain the commonality of trauma, like it is in our county, so, so common. So why should we have conversation about adverse childhood experiences? It's very interesting, when Josie Bailey called me to speak at Amen, um, I told her that I would pray about it with my husband and call her back. And that very same day, the Butte County uh, uh, Coalition for ACEs called me and wanted to interview me. They stayed on the line for 33 minutes asking me about how I use the ACEs quizzes in my office. And they were curious about why my colleagues don't do it. So I surveyed informally to my colleagues to find out why they were not doing the ACEs scoring. And of course, time is always a factor. But a bigger factor was actually they didn't know what to do with it. When they found patients with high ACEs, they didn't know what to do for that patient. So we obviously needed to develop a stronger trauma-informed care plan in our office. And I thought, wow, what an opportunity. As Christian providers of healthcare, we have Jesus we can offer these patients. We have the love of God that can heal them. We have scriptural concepts of healing that are so powerful. So we really need to be doing this. Um, it changes the question in the office from what's wrong with you to what have you survived? What have you gone through? It, it, it's a question of resiliency. Um, I always um, tell patients, I'm asking you these things so I'll know what's made you a more compassionate, strong, and wise person. It's an opportunity for patients to share their stories. Some patients will tell me, I don't have any of those 10 things, but I have this. I had one patient tell me that he was locked outside in the snow for hours as a six-year-old, uh, feeling neglected. And, and I had another gentleman tell me that he had shot an animal during his early teen years, and he just carried this guilt. And so we had an opportunity to, for him to receive forgiveness in my office. Doing the ACEs questions provides an opening for spiritual care and, and for better health choices. So it's a great first, first step. And the most important question I ask when I do the ACE questions is, how do you think these experiences are affecting your current health? Is there any connection? Some patients will tell me, oh no, there's no connection. Um, I'm healed from all that. And, and, uh, and particularly for children who have a caring adult present at the time of their traumas, they may survive those traumas very well with very little toxic stress as adults. But other patients will tell me, oh, it's every day in everything I do. You know? 
So um, different amounts of, of effect to their current health and mental state from the early childhood trauma. So brokenness is a door to connection. And connection is the cure to addiction. So we have the opportunity, when we see brokenness of any kind in our clients, in our patients, to address that. We can, we can help them to connect with Jesus, who is the source of, of spiritual, emotional, physical healing. So we know that children need a caring adult. Now, why do they send out relief workers uh, for the 911 type events, the, the big disasters? Because when there's someone on the ground right away to comfort you when you go through something stressful like that, you have way less toxic stress in the future. So Jesus is our caring adult figure. And, and God is not limited in time. He's the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. So he's, he can heal yesterday's trauma just as easily and quickly as he can heal today. Um, so Jesus, God our Father, our ever-present comfort through the Holy Spirit. I love Psalms 94:19. It says, when my anxious thoughts multiply within me, your consolations delight my soul. So if the situation is appropriate, I may offer to pray with a patient. I oftentimes will ask a spiritual history in my office. I'll ask them uh, what are their spiritual or religious beliefs. And uh, if they tell me they don't have any, I'll say, oh, was, was there ever any spiritual or uh, religious habits in your family growing up? And if they say yes, I say, well, how did, how did that affect you? You know, was that a positive or a negative experience? What was that like for you? Because some children may have been traumatized by their pastor, or, or they may have a church which is very, very legalistic or restraining. Um, uh, but I t try to take a spiritual history, and then I may ask them, do you ever pray? Do you have any spiritual practices? And if they say yes, they do, then I can ask them, um, does prayer help you? you know, so, some patients will say no. Other patients will say, yeah, it helps me a lot. And then I ask them, would you like me to pray with you now? I have some patients actually who have become so accustomed to me praying for them that if I happen to be called out of the room abruptly or, or our visit is cut shorter, I had one lady grab me in the hallway this week and said, you forgot to pray for me. <laughs> so... Um, and, and if, even if patients are not ready for praying with us, we can still pray for them in our heart. I have many patients I, I pray for. I had a lady that came in this week. She was 15 minutes late for a 20-minute appointment. And the front desk girl came to get me and said, do you want us to check her in or not? And, and the Lord just told me, absolutely, check her in. So I did. And, and she was in crisis. She was depressed. She had gone through a very difficult situation with her family. And um, she was just, it was almost a demon uh, uh, persecution, demonic persecution that was going on in her family. And she was so distressed. And she was taking on all, a lot of negative things that her family was saying to her. She was taking them into her heart. And I had a chance to to remind her she, she's Native American. She believes in the creator. She believes in the grandfather. She has a sense that there's a good higher power, even if she doesn't know Jesus yet. And so I was able to affirm to her that only her creator has a chance to set her meaning you know, in life. And, and she went out smiling. Um, I actually um, gave her a little tear bottle. I oftentimes will ask patients if they like poetry. And if they say they do like poetry, 
I, I will write down um, Psalms 56.8, which says, God sees our tears in his bottle and writes them in his book. I'll write that little poem out for them and send them home with a little glass tear bottle, just as a tangible reminder that they are not alone when they go through these things. God is saving their tears. Some patients tell me the bottles aren't big enough. So, so I want to make the comment, too, that, that the events that we experience in our lifetime they are only a moment in time. They are simply an experience or an event. They're transient, they're temporal, they're not happening to us now. And I think that's really important for us to firm with our patients, for them to realize that that event has already stopped. It's not going on now. And, and the problem is that sometimes patients attach a meaning to the event that may last for a lifetime. We get to choose who we allow to set our meaning. The devil is the thief who comes only to steal and kill and destroy. And I used this verse with my patient this week who was so distressed. You know, I said, there's a good power and a bad power, and the devil wants to destroy you. He's out on a mission to destroy you. But... God, the, your creator, is how I re referred to it in her case, um, wants you to have life and have it abundantly to the full. I tell my patients that traumas that happen to us, they're just happening to our shell. They're, they're like post-it notes. They're, they're, they're not very sticky. You know how fast post-it notes lose their sticky and just fall off. And, and that's how those things that happen to our shell are. They're, they're not permanent. They don't have to affect our meaning. The Son of God appeared for this purpose, to destroy the works of the devil. And, and some of the verses, it says to break apart or dismantle. Some versions of the Bible say dismantle the works of the devil. The devil plans all these negative things in our life, but God is quite willing to take apart those pieces and reassemble a beautiful sculpture out of them. So I'd like to share a concept with you I call molehills and mountains. So... When, when you have a mole digging in your beautiful lawn, uh, they make this pile of dirt in your lawn. Has any of you had moles in your, in your yard? <laughs> and and you, you come out in the morning and you might have three or four new ones. And, and that's how our days go sometimes. We have these, these events in our, our current situation that brings up a pile of dirt and, and it may remind us of an event in our past. Uh, and it may have a common thread of feeling to an event in our past. And, and like I said, Jesus is the same yesterday, today, tomorrow. He can heal this thing right in front of us right now, just like he can heal the old thing. And in fact, I, you know, I used to run from those old reminders. Something would come up that would remind me of an old time. I used to try to push it down or run from it. Um, and now I am celebrating when something like that comes up because it's almost like a pimple sitting right there with a white head ready to pop. And, and, and Jesus wants us to heal those things. He wants us to let all that, that pus out. He wants us to come to him when we feel like that and say, Lord, this emotion I'm feeling in this moment, it may be an amplified emotion. If you, if you have a day where you're over the top um, anxious or angry or responding to something that happens to you and you realize that that emotion is out of proportion to the event, this is a perfect indicator that it may be something old that's being stirred up. I, I'll give you an example. 
Um, I had a speaking class from a very famous speaker about 25 years ago. And some years after that, she came to our church to give a seminar. And she wanted all her previous students to stand up front with her and take a picture with her. And she particularly asked me to stand in front of her in such a way that would make her look thinner. Now, I want to look thinner. And it kind of bothered me that she was using me instead of caring for me. And it, it bothered me to the point where on my way home, driving home in the car alone, I almost started to cry. And I thought, why did the simple little event of being asked to stand in front of somebody in a picture stir up so much angst in me? Um, it seemed out of proportion. And I, so I just talked to the Lord about that, and, and the Lord was kind of like, well, why, why are you so disturbed about this? Um, what were you expecting from, from this person? Well, I remembered that that speaker had come around to me the last meal of our speaker seminar it was a weekend of, of seminar, and she'd come around to my table and whispered in my ear that of all the people at that seminar, I had the best potential to be a professional speaker if I wanted to be one. She had blessed me. She had given me a prophecy. And so here she is, a few years later, just wanting me to stand in front of her a certain way, like she, she was using me. And it reminded me, I was expecting of her a motherly attitude. And when the Lord said, isn't that a little bit unrealistic to, to expect a motherly attitude out of a speaker that you just had a seminar with some kind of years ago? And then I began to cry, and I realized I had lost my mother. You know, my mother had, had killed herself on purpose. And, and that was the hardest thing for my brother and I, that she had chosen to leave us. And so I was experiencing grief over the loss of my mother related to this little event, out of proportion. So in the car on the way home, I could pray and I could say, okay, Lord, what is your truth? The devil has a lie to attach to this. The devil says that, I'm, that I no longer have a mother and I've been abandoned and neglected. What is your truth? And, and the Lord pointed me to a verse in Psalms 27 that says uh, when the, the, Lord, um, the Lord will pick us up, he'll, he'll be our parent. And, and there were many other verses. The Lord is like a mother hen who, who keeps us under his wings. Um, so, so I was able to go in scripture to truths from scripture and, and not very long after that, the Lord actually gave me an adopted mama. I met a woman on a farm project. She was the landowner and I was one of the busy bees working on the co-op farm and we met each other, um, uh, and we became ministry partners and she's now my adopted mom. She lives next door to me. I'm her POA. And so God has, has given me back double for the years the locust ate. Now, there's so many promises in scripture that we can claim. I want to tell you a little bit about Lorraine. Uh, Lorraine came in my office about two weeks ago with an acute injury that was caused by someone's carelessness. And she was very, very angry about it. So after the scribe and I finished the medical part of the visit, I, I let the scribe go. It's, I oftentimes make more headway on these spiritual issues if it's one-on-one. -on -one. And I asked Lorraine what was going on. And she told me that not only had she been neglected causing the injury, but her daughter was going through some persecution. Her apartment manager had painted the apartments uh, without letting her know and had had a, she had had an anaphylactic reaction to the paint and ended up in the ER. And it reminded her of an old partner that had abandoned her and neglected her and of her parents that had abandoned and neglected her. So there was this, this injury was just the molehill 
and there was a mountain behind it, and we were able to move her to a place of, of spiritual healing. And, and e even if a person is not ready to accept Jesus as their direct source of healing, you can be the face of Jesus, the eyes of Jesus, the ears of Jesus in that exam room with the patient. So you can be alert for uh, emotions out of control and respond, name the emotion. Uh, you know, ask the patient, is there anything stressful going on in your life right now? Anything you'd like to talk about? And if it's a patient I know well, I might ask them if they've ever felt like this before. So in my own story, uh, after I went through that experience with the diet center and the nine months of counseling, um, my son weaned himself rather early, and I, I, I was still kind of grappling with my, my anger about the events from my childhood that had come up. And so I turned my son over to my loving husband and mother-in-law, and I escaped to the beach alone for a few days. And at first, I stomped up and down that beach, just stormed up and down that beach, angry with God. How could you let these things happen to an innocent child? I was just angry with God. And I want to encourage you, if, if you're angry with God or your patients are angry with God, tell him. He's a big God. He can hear it. And the fact that you're talking with him about it is a great first step. So a lot of patients who say that they, they don't believe in God, it's really that they're angry with God. So um, during those three days at the beach, after I stomped up and down for a while, I read Littauer's book, Freeing Your Mind from Memories That Bind, and I read David Seaman's uh, Healing for Damaged Emotions, and Philip Yancey's Disappointment with God. And I took the Bible texts out of those books. I just gleaned the Bible texts. And I stopped and thought about that poem. Have you heard the poem of the footprints on the sand? How many of you have heard that poem? It says, one night I dreamed I was walking across the beach with the Lord. Scenes from my life flashed across the sky. In each scene, I noticed footprints in the sand. Sometimes there were two sets of footprints. Other times, there was only one set of footprints. During the lowest times of my life, I could see only one set of footprints. So I said, Lord, you promised me that you would walk with me always. Where were you when I needed you most? Why would you leave me? And of course, God said, my precious child, I would never leave you or forsake you. At those times, when you saw only one set of footprints, I was carrying you. So my turning point really began as I saw Jesus present in my pain, and I saw his promises to use all things for good. I caught a glimmer of hope and healing. And gradually over three days, my rantings and accusations that God was unfair or uncaring or powerless or absent gave way to truths from Scripture. And I realized that God, who allowed his very own son to suffer and die for a purpose, will also use my sufferings for his eternal glory. You remember in John 9-4 where, where, where Jesus said it wasn't the man or his parents that was the fault that this man was born blind. It was so the glory of God could be shown. So if there's anything in our life or anything in our patient's life that we see as a negative or a trauma or a suffering or tribulation, it's so that the glory of God can be shown. And there is healing in Jesus. So patients will sometimes ask you questions and, and uh, you know, where was God? I go to scripture for that. Where was God when the three Hebrews were in the fiery furnace? He was right there as a visible person. 
And, and I just go through the Bible stories, Joseph and Daniel. Where, where was God when Daniel was in the lion's den? He was right there with his angel shutting the mouth of the lion uh, with Naaman's little maid who was taken from her homeland as a young girl and to a foreign country. But, but God was allowing her to be a missionary for him. Why did God allow the trauma, patients will ask. I, I love, the, the books of Peter are wonderful if you're going through sufferings, tribulation. Um, 1 Peter 1.5 says, we are protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. God is way more interested in my salvation and the salvation of his other children than he is in this outside shell, which is transient. Um, Isaiah 49.8 says, In a favorable time I have answered you, and in a day of salvation I have helped you. The crucible is for refining silver and the smelter for gold, but the one who purifies hearts by fire is the Lord. Do you want your heart purified? God uses suffering for that. To the degree that you share in the sufferings of Christ, keep on rejoicing so that also at the revelation of his glory, you may rejoice with exaltation. That's 1 Peter 4, 12 and 13. Patients will often ask me, does God care? And that's when I give them my little bottles. God saves our tears in his bottle and writes them in his book. He records our wanderings, all the twists and turns that our life takes. You know, where was he? It's in Psalms 34. When the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their troubles. The Hebrew says, Sarah, the tight places. Um, many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers them out of all of them, out of them all. He keeps all his bones, not one of them is broken. And that's a reference to a prophecy of Jesus Christ. Even though God the Father allowed Jesus to go through a lot of sufferings and die, he made a prophecy that he wouldn't have his bones broken like most people on a cross did, and it, he didn't have any bones broken. And God is metering our suffering too. I heard an interview recently by Sandy Patty on Christian Lifestyle uh, magazine, and, and she commented that when children are molested or assaulted, they oftentimes assume that there's something wrong with them because adults are supposed to be perfect. And so um, the question comes up, is there something wrong with me, that something bad happened to my childhood? And no, God says that he created us in his own image. In the image of God, he created us. God rejoices over us with singing. He delights in us. I am God's treasure and his chosen vessel, as each of you are. So I began to see my identity in God's promises, that I'm precious in his sight. Isaiah 43, 4. And oftentimes patients will ask, is there any good that could possibly come from this? We know that our thoughts and ways are not like God's. It says in Isaiah 55, 8, that he has higher thoughts and higher ways. He sees the long haul. The sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Romans 8, 18. And this is my favorite verse about suffering. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 16 to 18. So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, 
our inner self is being renewed day by day for this light momentary affliction. Now Paul's referring you know, to his own experience, how, how light and momentary were his afflictions. You know, he was beaten and shipwrecked and uh, in prison, and he went through so much, but he called it light momentary affliction. Um, but this affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient. They're just temporary. But the things that are unseen are eternal. In Romans 5, it says that we know our sufferings, our tribulations, produce perseverance. And perseverance, proven character, and proven character, hope. And hope does not disappoint us because the love of God is poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit that God has given us. So there is a purpose to suffering, and our patients need to, un to understand this as they're going through their journeys, uh, sharing their sufferings with us. And, and when the time is right, sometimes I'll, I'll share with patients that suffering is not wasted. I tell them, like, like coal under pressure becomes a diamond, you are becoming a diamond. You are a gem. Uh, and you, you have all known somebody who doesn't apparently have any hard things they've gone through. They're hard to be around. They're not fun people to associate with because they have no empathy. Um, you know, military trainees, football players, they go through great sufferings in order to be the elite. Surgeons cut their patients. They take out the offending appendix and the cancer. So there is a process of healing that our patients go through after they have a traumatic event, either childhood event or adult event, they, they need to feel the pain instead of pushing it down with, with unhealthy behaviors. Um, so, so allowing themselves to grieve and, and for us to be a sounding board for that grief is very important. Um, and then they'll need some help making new choices and new, having new associations and and um, they may need an addiction recovery program. Maybe your church has a celebrate recovery program you can invite them to. Uh, my favorite verse about addiction is 2 Timothy 2.22, and this is the Scouse simplified version. It says, run away from youthful lusts, run toward righteousness, faith, love, peace. Run with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. So again, that concept of connection is the, connect is the treatment to addiction. We need a relationship with other people who love the Lord and with the Lord. So as we're healing, we need to fill our mind with scripture, lots of scripture memorization. Um, you may be familiar with the FAST program. Uh, I, I use the scripture memory uh, app. Um, just just some, my friend types out verses and keeps them in, around her house in a little Rolodex. Uh, so memorizing scripture and listening to, to, to good music is very healing. Um, as I was going through my recovery, uh, Wonderful Merciful Savior by Sila was a song that really spoke to my heart. And Even If by Mercy Me. And lately I've been noticing the song, He Will Hold Me Fast. So it is well, it is well with my soul is another another song that really speaks to me. So we need to fill up on God, like newborn babies long for the pure milk of the word, so that by it you may grow in respect to salvation. 
We have so many promises in the word that God has given us. You know, even if you had a mother who neglected you, God says, I will never forget you, Isaiah 49, 15. And God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you'll abound in every good work. That's 2 Corinthians 9, 8. The Lord might give you sorrow and pain, but the Lord, God is your teacher, and he'll not continue to hide from you. You'll see your teacher. You'll have a voice guiding you. You'll cast away idols as a menstruous cloth. I love that imagery of just throwing away all the idols that we have put uh, there to comfort ourselves instead of seeking God. The Lord bandages his broken people and heals the hurts from their wounds. That's Isaiah 30, uh, between verses 20 and 26. The Lord your God will be with you. He will not fail you or forsake you. Do not fear or be dismayed. Isaiah 61 is powerful, uh, verses 1 through 11, uh, which talks about healing, how God will take away our sorrow and give us celebration clothes, that the old cities that were destroyed will be rebuilt, the ancient ruins will be made new as they were in the beginning. In the past, people shamed you and said bad things to you. A lot of my patients who've had childhood trauma bear a burden of shame, and so part of my mission is to help them understand that they don't, they don't own that shame. It's things that were just thrown at them. I tell them it's like a raincoat. You just let it wash right off. It's not part of you. Um, in your land, you'll get two times more than other people. You'll get the joy that continues forever. So in our last few minutes together, I just want to encourage you to offer your patients relationships for eternity, to go deeper with them. You may open up your waiting room to do a Sabbath school of Bible stories with patients. You may have groups, prayer groups, or support groups, or exercise groups you can invite them to. You may have social events at your church, Bible studies, singing, or musical suppers. Uh, you may invite somebody to come on your men's or women's retreats for your church. You may want to do a book club um, or health classes or uh, if it's a child, vacation Bible school or Pathfinders that you can invite them to. Um, there are some titles here uh, of good book club titles that we've done. I, I've run a group using Treasures Out of Trauma by Arlene Hendricks. That's a very good book. It's a workbook style. It's available on Amazon. Uh, we've used The Minister of Healing, Desire of Ages by Ellen White. Um, some people use The Door of Hope by Jan Frank. Um, SOS for Emotions is a great group class. Um, Depression, The Way Out, or The Lost Art of Thinking by Neil Medley. And if it's a weight management program, uh, either Elvin Adams' uh, program on weight or The Lord's Table uh, Notebook by uh, Cummings are both helpful. There's also some good resources for personal work. The Hidden Half of the Gospel by Paul Conniff. And Freeing Your Mind from Memories That Bind, I mentioned that one before, Healing for Damaged Emotions by Damon Siemens. Um, one really great book which helps in recovery is 1,000 Gifts by Ann Voskamp. She talks about using gratitude, and it's very powerful. There are also some very healing practices that you can offer patients who are recovering from trauma. Christian massage, journaling, uh, getting into outdoor beauty, um, healthy eating, new start kind of principles, um, gardening. So 
I also wanted to just mention some of the tools. Um, the eSword LT on the phone, a lot of patients don't have a Bible yet, so I'll hook them up to a Bible app, Bible Memory Pro app. Um, the fastmissions.com is better for you to work with them on rather than separately. And for practitioners, anybody who's doing spiritual care, I strongly urge you to get the book Gray Matter by Dr. David Levy. It has wonderful stories, especially listen to chapter eight and nine. Wonderful, wonderful stories about how to start praying with your patients and how to deal with it as a practitioner when you have bad outcomes with your patients. Very powerful book. Dr. David Levy, Gray Matter. So if anybody wants to connect with me, you can text me at area code 530 in the United States, 990-3205, 530-990-3205. I don't answer the phone while I'm seeing patients, but texts are great. I can get them after I get off work. Or you can send an email to scowfamily, S-K-A-U-F-A-M-I-L-Y, at gmail.com. I'm not on Facebook. Um, I don't have Messenger, um, but you can text me at that number or send email. So just think about this. Could you do one of the following? Offer to pray with a patient, be sensitive to an emotional state in one of your patients, ask God for wisdom to see open doors for spiritual care. You are the tangible touch of Jesus to patients while it is yet day. Our time is so short like the, that blind man we talked about, their, their traumas are so the glory of God could be seen. I just have to tell you about Beth. She was in our office, angry with everybody, yelling at the referral clerks, angry with the nurse, uh, angry with me. She had had a previous provider who had wounded her, and she was having chronic joint pain because of it. And she was so angry. It was bringing up old memories from her childhood, uh, anger, and after she left her office that day, the nurse just kind of sighed. She was exhausted by the patient's anger. And I just started praying, Lord, what can I do for Beth? How can I help Beth? And the Lord said, you need to stop by Rayleigh's on your way home from work and buy her from some flowers and go to her house. And I was like, Lord, it's raining outside and it's dark out there. And I'm supposed to be going home. And the Lord said, stop at Rayleigh's. So I did. I stopped at Rayleigh's. I bought her some flowers. And when I walked up to her door, her husband answered first and looked a bit surprised to see her doctor at her doorstep. Uh, and then when she came to the door, she, she was slightly inebriated. She had already turned to alcohol for her comfort. But I, I gave her the flowers and I just said, Beth, we really care about you. And we are so sorry that you are suffering. We really care about you. We, we want to help you through this. We want to be part of your team. She was so moved by that, it totally changed the interactions in our office. And in fact, she now smiles at the referral clerk and the nurses, and a few months later, she came in with this globe of, uh, filled with water around a rose and gave it to me and said she was just so grateful that I had reached out to her. And, um, and she, she's a Christian. She believes in God in her trauma. And she's set up for, for joint surgery next month. You can pray for Beth. So God shows you to be his hands and his eyes, his heart, to your patients who are going through tough times. So I'm so glad you came to this presentation. We have a few minutes left if there's any questions. One question in the back. So the question is, right, how, how that a lot of the, the management using the ACEs tool is aftermath, 
but how can we help our patients who are currently going through traumatic events, right? Yeah, so, so I think building a strong trauma support team in our office, having somebody that's designated with the time to sit down with a family, or, or knowing the referral options in our community so that we can send them right away when they're going through that and prevent if we see um, negative patterns. I'm really fortunate in my clinic that I have um, a wonderful behavioral health department and I can call them and they'll just come right over to my office and walk a patient over to their facility. They deal with kids, they deal with acute trauma, and, and they're very helpful so I can get a team support when a child's in a, in a negative situation. And um, that, yeah, it, we, we do need to surround them. If they don't have effective people in their home, we need to surround them with other uh, safe adults. We recently had a case in our office where a mother died from COVID, COVID and liver failure from her alcohol. And she left two little boys, very young boys, one of them's only one years old, and the father is having a hard time coping. And so we've all uh, drawn around him and gotten referral sources from our community, and we see him often in the clinic, and we're just giving him a new family. Anybody else with a question? Thank you so much for coming. We're so glad you're here. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.